0: Pastor Lily, who was our children's pastor for the better part of a decade, she's been here like 20 years, uh, I saw Bruce in here somewhere earlier, I know he's here somewhere, there you are, uh, Pastor Lily, uh, she, she uh, resigned on me last year and said, I got to go into the mission field, and <laughs> doggone it, she ain't in Poland right now, and she's ministering, and she's doing some work, got a couple pictures, that's, that's her right there, proof that she's on the ground in Poland, uh, she, she sent some information about a center that she's been ministering at, you can go to that next picture. This is the Katowice or Katalvys Center. I'm sure I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly. She says it used to be an old office building. Now it's being converted into like dorm room kind of living. And there's usually 26 or so rooms occupied. Families stay in each room, and it always stays full. And these are refugees from Ukraine. People are here usually from a few days up to three months. Construction is now going on to make more rooms. Pray for us. So can we pray for Pastor Lily and just the stuff that she's doing over there? In the name of Jesus, we pray your blessings, God. We pray you are opening up doors. We pray that you would give her, let her have access to the wisdom you give. Give her favor as she works with kids and she works with the individuals and the missionaries and the communities there. Give her, open up doors, supernatural favor, we pray. Keep her safe. Thank you for what you're doing through her life. We love her and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Did y'all get your caffeine? You doing okay? Anybody need to go outside just to wake up for a minute and let the rain hit you in the face? Those of you that are watching online this morning, we understand uh, the, the cold rain just kind of like, feels like we all need like, like blankets and recliners right now. Wouldn't that be cool if we replaced all the pews with blankets and recliners? Anybody in favor of that? Let's hold a business meeting right now and approve blankets and recliners instead of pews robert robert cooper is like yes i approve that right now give re- if we got rid of the pews and put recliners in here anybody want to complain anybody at all be gone in the name of jesus if that's you just kidding <clears throat> hey we're going to israel later this year we have a uh meeting next sunday and we if you want to find out more information about that we want you to come to that it'll be at 9 30 we also have prayer here if you just want to get together with people and pray every Wednesday night at 5.30 p.m. Uh, before we start up at 6.30 with the Bible studies and the youth ministries and all the, all the stuff going on. And as you walked in today in the uh, whatever we call that glassed-in area between the main entrance and the second entrance, I don't know what that's called, vestibule is what John says, uh, happy birthday by the way John, <coughs> um, just publicly, you know, I, just, I love you. We're having pie tomorrow because it's his birthday. Anyway, um, when you came in, there's these boxes there, and those are our hope boxes, and so we're asking y'all to bring in new pairs of socks. Do not bring in used pairs of socks. Don't you do it. But new pairs of socks, drop them in there. We're giving them out to our homeless friends, and t- and, and, and we're, in a, we're in a series, and five points if you know the name of the series that we're in. We are, three of you, remember that. We've been in it for three weeks, so... You know, we can, we can do this. What's the name of the series that we're in? We are. we are. We are, we are, we are. And today, we're going to be talking about how we are on mission. Say on mission. on mission. We are on mission. What does that mean, to be on mission? It means that we have a reason and a purpose for doing things. It means that we, we invest our lives, and we, in, we, we actually have skin in the game for what God's called us to do. And so today you know a lot of times I like to tell like lots of last week I think I told the story of how I stood outside throwing golf balls at a raccoon you know I, I really like telling funny self-degrading stories and, and and then telling stories about some of you you know but uh, today is like kind of more like flat-out Bible teaching than it is more of like a sermon that I'm used to preaching I I like doing that, but today's a little bit different. It's more like straight up Bible teaching. And some of you are like, yes, finally, he's getting away with the fluff and and we're cutting it down to the meat. And others, you want to just know, is he going to cuss accidentally today or not? You know, (laughs) probably not, but, you know, just keep listening. Let me start with a question. Let me start with a question. We serve a God who is known for lots of things. And my question is this, what, what, what is God mostly known for? When you think about God, when you think about the God of the Bible, when you think about sermons and stuff about God that you've heard, you hear things like he created the world and he gave Adam and Eve a garden. You hear things like he sent Moses and he gave freedom to the Israelites. You hear things like David went out with a sling and a stone and the Lord gave him victory over Goliath. You hear things like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believed in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Over and over in scripture, we see the attributes of God. What is God, what is God known for? I think he's known for giving. He's known for love. Right? There's that scripture, you know, God is love. It's there. If we want to know what love is, we look at God. I think God is known for giving. And I also think that when we look at the miracles and the forgiveness and we even if we just look at our own lives of if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you can identify the points where God has given to you. Like you you can you you can pinpoint the days of blessings the moments of blessings, the the, the places where you knew that God loved you when you weren't very lovable. And I think that we're more like God when we give. We're more like God when we love. And It's not just me or just you. It's not an individual thing. It's a collective church we thing. There's all these scriptures from John 3.16 that I quoted earlier to Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin are. Our death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Or in James chapter 1 where he says every good gift comes from above. Or Psalm 16 that says the provider for our needs is also the source. Listen to this. The source for never-ending pleasure. Hedonists, take note. Psalm chapter 16 is for you. Verse 11 specifically. The Lord is the provider of our needs and our source for never-ending ending pleasure. John chapter 10 there's uh the, the, I came to give you life Jesus is talking to give you life and life more abundantly. That's that's a comically ridiculous overflowing of that gift. That's what abundantly means there. It means that it's so much that it's laughable. And our God is a God of infinite. His love knows no limits. Infinite. So in hopes of helping us be more like this loving God, being a church on mission, I'm going to attempt to preach a message on giving. But we have a problem. Somebody say, we got a problem. Even though God is infinite in love and unlimited with his hope, the church has historically felt much different. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. If you raise your hands after I, say, after I ask this question, that's on you. But who's been hurt by church or in church before? Some of you are like, ah, ha, 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 ha. For many, many people, the church does not feel like a place at times, hopefully not always, but at times, there's been hurt, and that's a problem. The church has historically felt much different than this generous love of God that I've been talking about for the past three, four minutes. And when a church or when a preacher teaches and preaches, about giving in scripture, there's a problem because some of us have heard teaching and preaching on giving and tithing before and some of us feel like there's a lot of guilt and condemnation with that or there's a lot of manipulation by pastors and some of you you're here for the first time today, maybe you decided to come back to church or to try out a church for the first time in a while and you're like great, he's preaching on tithing I knew I shouldn't have shown up today. Well, I'll tell you what, if that's you, give me a little grace. I'll give you, a little, I'll give you as much grace. Um, just sit back and see how we talk about it. Just sit back and judge me really, really harshly on how we talk about it. If you find condemnation and guilt, if you find false teaching or unbiblical or not rooted in Scripture, thoughts about money, if it, if it comes across as heavy-handed, don't ever come back. Go find another church. Because I'm telling you, our heart and who we are as a church is not about condemnation. It's not about guilt. It's not about what you should have done. Our heart, especially with this, is about the generosity of God. But admittedly, some of us have a bad taste in our mouth. Some of us have been in church for a long time. And you can go chapter and verse and you can preach prosperity gospel better than some of the televangelists. You got to give more so that you can get more. You ever heard that before? It's, it's not, it's, it's, that's bad teaching. It's guilt-driven and it's also consumer-driven. I give so I can get. Some preachers refuse to talk about giving altogether because they're scared of it. This preacher thinks that if we never talk about money and we never talk about giving, then we're, we're not really being formed into fully devoted disciples of Jesus. Because Jesus talked about money a lot. There's also been, like, a bad taste because of bad and untrustworthy churches that have practices that are, like, unethical. I got a good news for those of you that are scared that this might be a church like that. We have an annual report of members meeting, and it's just like every other business meeting, and, it's like, there's going to be yays and nays and motions and shouts and whatever, you know, but but like all of our finances and how we handle them, they're they're like on public display at those meetings, and we we have links to the PDFs of our annual reports. Like we we're not trying to hide nothing. But I want us to get get real about this today. We need we need to be understood. So let's pray together. Let's take a moment. And let's just ask God's Holy Spirit to work on our lives. Will you bow your heads with me? In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would take these next few moments and speak your clear words through this human mouth. Get me out of the way and have your Holy Spirit do direct communication. Less of me, more of you. Help us in our understanding and in our mission as a church. When it comes to this thing, money. When it comes to these terms like tithing and giving. Give us your wisdom, I pray. And help us discern and know your heart more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to hang out mostly in the last book of the Old Testament or the First Testament in the Bible and the first book of the New Testament. So uh, those of you Bible scholars, what is the last book of the Old Testament? Malachi. Pastor John's over there earning his keep, you know. Malachi. That's the one. And then the first book of the New Testament. How about this side? Anybody know which one it is? Matthew and if you're like man I'm glad they shouted out I gotcha I gotcha there's these two parts of the Bible the Old Testament the New Testament some people say the Old Covenant and the New Covenant while that can be technically correct it's it's actually a very like like it's a lot deeper than that but the Old Testament and New Testament the very last book is in Malachi we're gonna be in chapter three for like a minute like a hot minute we're going to be in Matthew, and we're going to be looking at what Jesus had to say. To get us started, there is a verse in the Old Testament that is the most used verse in the Bible for guilt and condemnation with money. And we're going to look at it today, starting in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. It says this, I am the Lord. I guess I should do it like this. I am the Lord. And I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed, Wow, okay, we started with destroying the descendants of Jacob. I am the Lord, I do not change. Actually, if you look at the first verses, this whole entire chapter has to do with the coming judgment day. Who wants to sign up to be first in line on the coming judgment day? No, 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 no. We'll sit, we'll sit, we'll send the younger people out first. They can be judged first. We want to see what this judgment looks like. Verse 6 starts with this big statement, I am the Lord, I do not change. And we hear it like a threat because he talks about destruction. When kind of like the verse that was shared earlier, this isn't a threat. This is actually showing God's love and his mercy. We go to verse 7. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, but you ask, how can we return when, you've never, when we have never gone away? And verse number 8 says, should people cheat God? Ooh. Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. So God is speaking to the Israelites, his chosen people. And this is following hundreds of years of lots of different things where they didn't do legally what they said they were going to do, what they were covenanted to do. But you know what's great about a covenant, especially a covenant that includes God? It's only a covenant if God does what he says he's going to do. Like if it's just based on us, that's called a contract. But a covenant has this higher thing attached to it. And it's the, it's the sovereignty of God. And he says these words, you return to me, I'll return to you. The Israelites are defensive. They're like, well, what are you, what are you, when, did, when did we leave? And he goes, well, you've cheated me. Cheated me out of tithings and offerings. Now, some of you that went to Sunday school know exactly what tithes and offerings are. Some of you, you hear tithes, and you're not really, not, not, I mean, you kind of know, and you're going to fake like you know but let me just kind of put it out there for those of us that may not fully get what tithing. Tithe, is. tithe is, a, is, is, is literally a percentage principle. It means 10%. So if I say 10% of 100, math scholars, what is that? 10. 10% of 100 is 10, because it's 10%. So when they're talking about tithes and offerings, they're, ta- they're talking about the things that they give to God. That has to do with money, crops, spices, herds. has to do with lots of things. And God said, you didn't sacrifice. You didn't give to me. You didn't do what you said. Next verse. You were under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. So because they didn't follow the tithe and the offering thing, They're now living under a curse. And God is saying, you come back to me, I'm coming back to you. And here's what he says. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Amen. So God is saying to them, you come back to me, I'm coming back to you. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Restore things. And what's going to happen is I'm going to pour out blessings so much that you're not not going to be able to contain it. Every nation will call you blessed. And the Old Testament ends on these words, and then in the next chapter, it ends... In chapter 4, basically on this, on this crescendo, but the very last verse of the Old Testament says this. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. The Old Testament ends with the word curse. And so like this whole conversation, and it's important that we get this, we get this in before, before we get to Jesus in, Ma- in the book of Matthew. This whole conversation has to do with Israel turning their back on God, not following his laws, not doing the right thing. Not having the children return to their fathers and the fathers to the children. Whole reconciliation like it's not been happening and this it ends on this crescendo where the lord says test me on this return put all the tides into the storehouse they literally had big grain storehouses that they put things in and preachers for a long time have been using this verse and calling the church the storehouse and i don't think that's bad teaching but what i think where i think we get into trouble is when we start preaching this stuff about the old testament curses and laws as if Jesus hasn't shown up to fulfill them in full so if you go to the book of Matthew what you're gonna see is 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 you're going to see that the Old Testament is full of this kind of language but you have to read this Old Testament a certain way if you're a follower of Jesus I would challenge you to always read this stuff in the Old Testament kind of like a prequel Jesus kind of like the story that leads up to everything is pointing to Jesus because and we're gonna see this here in just a minute Jesus fulfills every law in the Old Testament will you just repeat that with me Jesus fulfills every law Jesus fulfills every law and how do we know this I'm glad you asked Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 Jesus says these words, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the laws of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to do what? Accomplish their purpose. Gang, this is huge, and this is why this feels more like a teaching than than like a sermon with lots of different funny stories that I love love to preach. Everything in the Old Testament does not get wiped away because Jesus is here everything gets fulfilled because jesus is here everything everything in the old testament that was prophesied and that was promised and that was decreed everything finds its fulfillment in christ we can't wipe away the law of moses you know why because there's stuff in there like do not murder like let's not wipe that one away let's keep that one okay that's a good commandment right there the whole murder thing but then we come to this stuff about tithes let me tell you something Jesus fulfilled every law. So in essence, Malachi is reading, what we just read in Malachi with the whole destruction and return to me and all this stuff, this is first covenant kind of stuff. It defines the legal bar for how to address God and be good with God. And Jesus fulfills it. And some folks think because this tithing language is in the Old Testament that the New Testament wipes it away. Okay, that was the Old Covenant, the First Covenant, the laws. Well, when Jesus comes around, we got a new covenant, we got a new deal. Well, there's a problem, say. There's a problem. Are you all still with me? Is this, is this, am I going too deep? There's a problem. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says these words. And I believe, yeah. It's it's in red. I don't know if you can see it, but there's three words in red there on the next to last line. I want you to, like, say those out loud with me when I get there. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? People who taught the law. People who held on to the law. Jesus saying, what sorrow is coming for you? Hypocrites, he says. For you are careful to even tithe the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that there are more important aspects of the law than tithing. Not my words. Jesus' words. If you have a problem with it, take it up with him. Not my words. You have neglected the more important things of the law. What are those things? Justice. Mercy. Faith. And then he says these three words. What are they? You should tithe. But do not neglect the more important things. So did Jesus say stop tithing? What did he say? You should tithe. Jesus is saying tithing's not bad. You should tithe. But the more important things are justice, mercy, and and faith. Listen, you can be the richest person in town. Think think Mr. Potter, I almost said Harry Potter. Think Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. You can be the richest guy in town and you can give so much money to the churches and nonprofits, but if you are not concerned with justice, mercy and faith, you you might be in danger of hellfire. You can be so concerned with justice and mercy and faith, But if you never give, you could be in danger of missing out on the life of Jesus. Because Jesus says you should tithe. the Jesus never says not to tithe, but he says these are the most important things. And here's the thing I want to say to you. If Jesus fulfilled the law, then nobody's going to change it. If he fulfilled the law, no one is going to change it. We live our lives as a response of love to what Jesus did. We don't live our lives trying to, like, 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 beat ourselves into some kind of legal trouble of doing everything to earn his love. We actually live our lives as a response of love to, to Jesus' love. He loved us so much that we, we now have revelation of what real love is. And we can't help but give. We live as a response of love. And can I say this too, and, and, and good to tell your friends that the preacher said this, legalism sucks when it comes to living life. It's a sucky way to live. It will suck the life and the joy out of you. And this is the only gospel, that Jesus fulfilled the law. This is it. This is the only, Jesus fulfilled the law. You don't have what it takes to fulfill the law. You are not going to change the fact that Jesus fulfilled the law. That doesn't mean that we should go around breaking the Ten Commandments or just doing away with everything we see in the Old Testament. No. Out of a response of love, out of a response to his love, We submit our lives, and we can't get enough of this Jesus. And can I also say this, and go tell your your friends about this one too. Tell them that the preacher actually said it, and it came up on the screen. Tithing won't save your soul. Tithing won't save save your soul, and you will not be damned to hell if you do not tithe. Tell your friends that the preacher said it. This isn't false gospel. This is the only gospel. Only jesus fulfills the law you won't you won't go to hell because you're not doing the rule book you will go to hell being far away from jesus missing jesus having having your head say i like jesus but your heart is not changing your life out of a response to jesus that's when we're in danger of hellfire hellfire is 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 a danger for us if there's no jesus not because we can be so good or follow so many rules so can we please rid ourselves of the humiliation and the shame this idea that unless I do these things that God will not love me that I'm not welcome in his church and some of y'all and some of y'all watching online are like I'll go to church but I feel like I might get struck by lightning if I go there (laughs) I'm not good enough to be in church today. I'm not. Gonna have some some of y'all felt that way before. Can we just rid ourselves of that false gospel? And then let's let's also not allow false teaching to take root in our lives either. That this new covenant, this new uh, this 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 new testament, new covenant with Jesus makes all the commands and stuff from the Old Testament worthless. That that's not true. We literally saw that Jesus fulfilled the law. We literally saw where Jesus said, yeah, you, sh- you should tithe. Jesus doesn't nullify or X out anything in the Old Testament except the fact that you've got to live up to the law or you're damned to hell. He does away with that. Why? Because he fulfilled it. He's the main character. It's how all of us are saved. So money and how we handle it, is not to be used by some kind of religious rite or religious uh, uh, soapbox as some kind of manipulative tool to get you close to Jesus. And money is also not to be used as some kind of manipulative tool to let you do whatever hedonistic thing that you want to do. No, Jesus knew something about money. He knew that we humans are obsessed with it. Like, obsessed. Obsessed. He knew that we would be tempted to serve money over Him, over His infinite love. So when you look at Scripture, it's amazing how many times Jesus uses money as an example, as a teaching illustration, because He knows that money is the competition in this world. Think about the last several elections. Think about how we, how we think not just over the past four years, or six years, or eight years. But I remember the, 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 the term from the election in the 90s where it said, it's the economy, stupid. Anybody remember that one? It's about the economy. Like money, money drives our heartstrings. It's an example because Jesus knew that it's probably the competition of this idea that he is Lord. Jesus knew that if he wasn't Lord of of, of our money, that he wouldn't be Lord of anything in our lives. So he said these words in Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for you will either hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. And in some Bibles, there's a bracket word there called mammon. Anybody got mammon in their Bible? What's mammon? We don't use the word mammon. Like, that never comes up in a social media post. The celebrities talking about mammon, I think we need to reclaim this because it, it, it's kind of like, like, like we, it could sound like we we're, were a little bit cooler if we use the word mammon, like, oh, what's the problem? Well, you know, just kind of needing need to get that grind so I can get that mammon. What's mammon? You know, just me. Okay. Anyway, mammon literally means this. It, it's bigger than money, but it's the promise of money. It's the promise of security. It's the promise of fulfillment and approval through your material possessions. Is it, I mean, when when, when, we, when we define that, like money's good, but the promise of security past the amount of money in the checking account? The security and the promise that we're going to be fulfilled, the promise that we're going to get more money because of the money we have. I mean, isn't that called like investing in retirement, right? We invest so we can get still think we need to reclaim that word. Mark chapter 12 there's a story about a about a widow who gave money. The story is that Jesus is standing up and people in 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 this Jewish synagogue in this church they would go up and publicly give their money. We, we pass baskets. We have drop boxes. We have, you know, we, 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 we don't really, like, look at each other's like, oh, he's giving this. We don't compare, you know, that kind of seems like a violation of privacy. Not in that church. In that church, people, like, went down forward, and they put their stuff in the basket, and they went back to their seat. And this little widow puts in two mites, two tiny little pieces of money. What does Jesus say? He stops the service, and he said, did you just see what happened? She gave the most, more than anybody. And Jesus is always kind of in an upside-down kingdom. Why did she give the most? Because she gave out of her need. She gave out of her love. And the story of the widow's offering teaches us that God sees your heart. He looks through the crowd of people, and he notices your heart. So when your giving seems insignificant, you don't need to worry. God sees the sacrifice. He sees your heart. And Jesus said these words, her story will be the one that is told forever. And here we are today, thousands of years later, telling her story again. So the teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus, shows us that tithing isn't bad. It isn't anti-grace or irrelevant. And we find this principle. Giving happens giving like god happens because of revelation the condition of our hearts giving doesn't happen because of condemnation or rule following if it's just about rule following if it's just so that i'll feel better there's a heart issue giving happens because of a heart issue it's all about the heart it's all about that motivation the stories of Jesus and his followers are vast when they talk about how people gave. We already talked about the widow. What about the people who sold their property and gave the money from the cell to the mission of the church? Or what about the churches in the New Testament who Paul said, hey, collect the gift before I get there so that you're not scrambling when I get there. What about the people who not only gave their money but gave their lives in martyrdom for the gospel? See, this type of giving, this type of heart change, this, this type of worship is not something that, that just suddenly happens when you get a certain amount of money. Because I don't know about you, but I've said things in my life like, you know what, when I make, when I get into this income bracket, I'll give more. No, you won't. You won't. When I, when I make this many uh, this much money in my weekly check or my, my, my monthly check, then I'll start to give. If I can just get over this threshold, then I'll start to give. No, you won't. Because this has nothing to do about the amount of money. It has nothing to do with what's in the checking account or the savings account. It has everything to do with the heart. The most generous people on earth are poor people. The most generous people on earth are people who don't have much to give and that's not my opinion that's a known statistic it's about the condition of your heart how do we apply this stuff how are we going to be like generous like Jesus a local church that bears the image of the most high God I said today was about We are on mission. Can I tell you something? People ask me, what's the mission of this church? What's the vision of this church? Man, we do not have just a very catchy little sentence or phrase that we're trying to get everybody to memorize. You know what we have? We have a prayer that we pray every Sunday. That's what we have. We don't have a vision statement. We have a prayer. We are image bearers of the Most High God. We we have the love of Jesus we're going to recklessly give it away. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to give it away every chance we get. We don't have a vision statement. We don't have a slick marketing campaign. We have a prayer. And we pray it every week. This church, the giving that happens here, it's obedience-level, praise-level revelation that some of us have stepped into. So when it comes to giving like Jesus, there's two responses. Well, there's three there's like no yes and maybe <laughs> that's basically all there is no says i'm going to choose to withhold well that's not god god never withholds he never commands his people to withhold blessing there's not one verse in the bible there's not one story that would support god saying you know what you just hold on to that for you you know what no don't give now there's verses in the bible that say hey enjoy what you've been blessed with like we find that in ecclesiastes we find that in the New Testament. But when it comes to living our life, we can't find anywhere in Scripture where God says, you know what? You just hold on to all that for you. It's not there. So the whole idea of choosing to withhold, that's that's like anti-discipleship right there. Then there's the one about choosing to give when you give something. You know what? You're most like God when you give. And some of you are ready to take a first step and give something, but you're like, what do I give? What do I do? Okay, awesome. What do you give? Is it like a tip at a restaurant where we just kind of round up? Like a $20 tip each week? Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9. I'm going to wrap up here in just a second. Come on up, worship team. Paul says this. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Don't you dare let any preacher pressure you into giving. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do not let anybody pressure you into giving. Why? Because God loves a person who gives cheerfully. When he said you must decide in your heart, what does that mean? That means you need to pray about it. It means you need to ask God, what am I supposed to do here? When they talk about this hope fund stuff, when they talk about tithing, what am I supposed to do? Ask God. Be assured of this. You're not under condemnation. Jesus fulfilled all the stuff about condemnation. You live under grace. So how how are you going to do that? Corinthians talked about regular giving. Paul says this, on the first day of the week, set aside a portion of the money you've earned. You know why Paul says that? He says that because he knows something about us humans. He knows that if we just give when we feel like it or when we think about it or when something bad happens, that we're going to give much less than if we just give give like regularly in our life. Like if we plan to set aside money each week, we will give more, and that works. Some of y'all have saved up for vacation that way. We, we put money into savings for this very thing. We give more when we do it regularly. That's it. It's a practical thing. Automation. If you can automate your obedience to God, your worship for God, it's, it's not a bad thing. If, let me tell you something. If I can decide and make the decision to honor God with something before I get to a moment... If I can decide, you know what, I'm going to honor God with my marriage, and I'm not, I'm not going to risk my marriage with adultery or with porn or with this or with this or with this. You know what? If I make decisions to keep that stuff out of my life before it's 3 a.m. on a Saturday morning, and I'm just lonely and depressed, and I'm looking for something, if I can, if I can make the decision to automate my love for God in a way, why wouldn't I do it? Why wouldn't I take advantage of that heart? Beat when it happens I talked earlier about poor people the poorest Christians in the U.S. there's a statistic from Ron Sider's book Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger there's a statistic that says U.S. Christians give 1%, 1.7% of their income that's the statistic those of you that thought every Christian tithes I'm so sorry but it doesn't happen no church has 100% tithing from their Christians Doesn't happen. Most Christians give 1.7%. The poorest Christians around the world average 3%. Can I just encourage you when you're praying and you're asking God for what you should do? At least match the poorest Christians around the world. At least. Like, 3%. 3%. What's 3% of $1,000? 30 bucks. If you make $1,000 a week, that's $30. Bucks. Start there if you got to start, if you're looking for somewhere to start. You can do math. You can break out the calculator on your phone. You can do all this work. Can I just encourage you? At least start with where the, the poorest Christians around the world are, are at what happens when you start giving is that God starts moving on your heart more and more. We do have this app and it's easy to give around here. But some of you are like, I just need to start giving. That's a good place to start. Second thing I'd say is some of you have been in church a long time and you've heard tithing stuff and you've been around it. Some of you need to start with tithing. And you don't need to start because the preacher's like guilting you or because you're going to give more so you can get more. That's consumerism. That's investing. Now, this whole thing about giving, some, some of you have been here before, and using the same math, if you're making $1,000 a week, 10% is $100. Bucks. Shona and I have been at this for almost 20 years in our marriage, and individually, we, we've been doing this kind of giving longer. And it's not something that just happens in a person's life. I do believe that some people just say you know what I'm gonna start giving I'm gonna start tithing and they just do it a lot of people are like you know what I've got more month at the end of my money and I can't just start doing that like it's impossible can I encourage you with something this is something that builds over time and there's a principle that we use we've used in our family for a long time it's called the 10 10 80 principle give 10% you save 10% you live off 80% if you can work towards just that principle you're gonna be prepared for more things in life we can't do this without great intention. See, in our family, I mean, we're very blessed. We're loved by God. We're, we, we, we we give and we we do all these things. Let me tell you something. We do this very intentionally. I drive a 2009 GMC Sierra that's got rust around around the wheel casings or whatever. That's what I drive. I don't drive I don't I actually I drive it cuz I don't have a car payment. You know what? If I don't have a car payment, that means I can give more. My wife drives a 2014 Honda CRV that's coming up on 200,000 miles. We think we can get 200,000 more out of it. We don't have two car payments. We've done this very intentionally for years so that we could give more money. If you didn't have a car payment, what could you do for the kingdom of God? And why do we do this? Why? So that we can live extravagantly. Because this is the place of freedom. That 10-10-80 principle in our family, we're actually going for 20-20-60. We're trying to give over 20%, save over 20%, and live off of about half of our income. That's what we're working towards. And Some of you live there. And I say this not bragging, but talking about giving glory to God. It's taken us over 20 years, but we're at the place where we're giving over 20% of our income away man we've seen the blessings of god time we didn't start there but this hope fund this commitment all this stuff we had we put tithe on this commitment card this year because that's different we're going to talk about hope fund next week but tithe is different i want you to take this card this week and i want you to pray over it i want you to ask god help me determine if this is your church if this ain't your church No pressure. Sit back and watch us and judge us and all that kind of stuff. But if this is your church, ask God what your response is to be when it comes to tithing. Next week, we're going to talk about Hope Fund. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you before we get out of here. In the name of Jesus, God's son, there's some of us today who are praying and we're thinking about tithing in a different way. Some of us are looking at all the blessings that you've given us, God, and we are just sitting back and we feel, we feel not pressure, not guilt, not condemnation, we feel responsibility for taking another step in worshiping.